This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. Sweet. Well, we'll, we'll like jump into it. Yeah, this is a much smaller crowd than what I guess we had anticipated. Mm-hmm. What? Um, my name's Scott, and this is my wife, Julie. Uh, some of you guys know us. I think most of you do. Some, some don't, but... Um, yeah, so remember when, uh, was it last week? Um, and I think I've got anybody, I've got everybody on here. I've got Matt and Jenny, Randy and Carissa, uh, I guess Amanda and Benjamin kind of have, Benjamin popped in and did some fun stuff. David and Janet, and then Kyler and Gabrielle. And then everybody else is on spring break. Um, the couple, I was listening to the, uh, the session last week that you guys did on conflict. And the couple that Matt was referring to that was supposed to be on the conflict week, but it swapped around. That was that was okay. us. So we're the ones that were like, "Oh, you want us to do conflict? Well, that'll be fun because I don't think we've got that." The we, don't, totally we don't know what we're doing. We're getting better with it. Yeah. yeah. So what was I say all that to go? What was fun is to go. Uh, I hope that everything that comes out of this is just that we're in the same boat that you guys are. You know, married and, and um, trying to take the Bible and apply it to this stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Right off of the bat, we're going to be talking about money uh, today. And I noticed last week that was like the top three. It was in the top three of things that uh, married couples have conflict. Um, and so what I wanted to throw out just on the, the outset, and since it's a small group, I don't think we're going to have any small table discussions. Hi, welcome. Hey, guys. Come on in. And you guys are? Should I just set it out there and just say, hey, let's just start filling out? Yeah. The thing is, I like having this because then I can go, all right, I can't remember everybody's names because I'm terrible with that anyway. Mm-hmm. You get very good at it, though, because I'm always impressed when you remember my child's name. <laughs> yeah. he's, I am he's telling he's you, Amanda, that was not my... I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was not my, my cadence over time. Um, so, yeah, so one of the things I wanted to throw out there is just within the topic of money... When you, when you think of money in marriage, what's, what's one of the first things that comes to your mind? Minds. Joint accounts. <laughs> Joint accounts. Matt laughed. What's, no, I, I want to hear. What comes to your mind, Matt? Does money seem to be the thing that we just can't wait to talk about? Which by everybody going, all right, let's just kind of get, show me the budget stuff, tell me the Dave Dave Ramsey thing, let's just kind of get out of here, right? Um, What today is not going to be is it's not going to be a Dave Ramsey thing. Um, And the only reason we're saying is we want to apply broadly having a biblical perspective just on money in general and apply it to what that looks like in our biblical um, marriage. Um, And I can remember one of the first, I think it was the first or second connection group all the way back in 2013 when we're sitting in Paul and Jenny Sabino's living room. um, And we were teaching through Proverbs and we were talking about money. And at the end of it, Paul goes, so next week, I want everybody to bring their checkbooks. Like everybody bring your checkbooks and we're going to open up 
We're just going to take our checkbooks and we're going to let everybody in the connection group look our at it. Our very first connection group yeah. ever at Kingdale. And I remember leaving there going, what kind of church is this? You know, but at the end of it, I, coming from a church that wasn't quite as um, transparent, it was one of those that I, as much as I didn't want to bring my checkbook and not that we were spending money on crazy things, but you just, you want to keep things private. I, I think that was how I was always raised. And, but at the end of the day, I was like, if a church is willing to get that personal with you and is that interested in how you're spending your money, that's something I want to be a part of because they're willing to get to places that are personal and deep and, and help you through that. So... so I saw Amanda's face when I said the checkbook thing, and she's like... Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because we don't really use our checkbook much anymore, so it wouldn't really... Or keep it, you know, balanced. Right. What would be the thing that would freak you out the most about somebody looking at your checkbook, your bank account, or spending your money? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd almost feel a little like invaded, like personal space, just because like culturally, mm-hmm. like that's like a off topic. Mm-hmm. Like that's a you don't mm-hmm. talk about a topic. Why do you think money is such a taboo topic within? I think a lot of people equate money with power. So okay. like, if people find out that you don't have a lot of money, then they just they won't take you for what you think you're worth. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep throwing that out. What? What? Why? So why is that this such actually a... brings a great point because this last December in my school we talked, uh, we had this kind of like jobs around the Cedar Valley kind of topic, and um, so kids looked up like what people make, mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where like you have a second grader coming up to you and go like, why do you only make this much money when you can go over there and make that much money? Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting like how society views salaries. Okay. What else is so taboo? This is good. Like, what is so taboo about talking about finances? There's jealousy. Like, if maybe two people are doing the same job and one guy is getting ten thousand dollars more than the other guy, mm, for sure. Maybe it creates animosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys are tapping into something. I think that is very real. And within the context of our marriages, oftentimes you can bring that paradigm into how I'm supposed to look at money within the context of my marriage. Like when Rob's talking about um, this idea of uh, people would see kind of stupid stuff, I'm like, sometimes there's a level of embarrassment um, because we're like, man, if people really knew kind of the this, this, this silly stuff I put money towards and I'm not giving anything towards anything that's really seriousness or serious, it does make you feel embarrassed. And in one sense, I think that's a good feeling to have. I think that's why inspection is so healthy. Um, And so we're gonna be talking about that today in terms of money. And I hope it's just a free-flowing, like I'm spitting everywhere, a free-flowing, just trying to understand how can I steward money? You're gonna hear that word probably more than anything today um, in a way that glorifies God and unifies my marriage. Um, and so I know last week you guys were all asked to fill out the, what was it, the money the money thing? Or was it in your books? It, 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 so it said to fill it out, and then it wasn't there. It wasn't in the book at all? No. Oh, well, that's interesting. Where did I put my... Is it in the Timothy Keller book? Or in oh, no. the... Yeah, it would be in just this packet. But no. 
Yeah, Matt had just said that Fill it was out in the, the monthly cash flow plan. Yeah, from like the it was in the, like the notes for a week before. Fill out your monthly cash flow plan. I'm assuming that no. nobody fit. It's not in the book. All right. Well, it says assignment for next week is fill out yeah, monthly cash flow plan as best you can. We forgot the book, and we did go through this one. Okay. <laughs> but you're saying, Tyler, you're saying there's no there's no cash flow plan in there, so. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we don't have to talk about that. So as we approach the scriptures on money, we're going to see this in some of the passages that we jump into. Um, when we talk about biblical application of God and money, it really boils down to one word, and that's stewardship. Um, so if you're a note taker and you're filling things out there, um, the big idea is going to be one um, of stewardship. How would you describe the word steward? Caretaker, other. So like this paradigm of like, it's not mine, right? And, and when we look at the Bible, that is really what it boils down to. In the, in the packet there, it says, a person who manages other, others, another's property or financial affairs, one who administers anything is the agent of another or others. That's a steward. Um, do you guys have practical examples that you have participated in as far as being a steward of somebody else's stuff before? What's that? Cat sitting. Okay, cat sitting. And then the cat hides and you can't find it for five hours. Oh, what a tragedy. <laughs> I'm not a cat person, so. There's a hole in the bottom of the bed and crawls up there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, we got to flesh this story out. That was fun. That was crazy. I would have been like, I can't find the cat. I'm just moving on to other well, things. My friend has a dream. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Right? So taking care of somebody else's thing that's really important to them? Right? Okay. This is kind of a funny example of steward. What other stewardship examples have you been a steward of, of other things that don't belong to you? Failures, anybody? Yeah. Yeah? Any babysitting in general? Any kind of sitting. Any sitting at all. I think of somebody who is like an executor of somebody's will. Sure. executor of my parents will so when they pass away that will then be my responsibility to manage their property and their affairs until that's all ma managed and right 
the the example of the cat or other people's stuff is an interesting one because I if you ask me to babysit or cat sit, I have no I don't care about the cat. Like my only vested interest in making sure the cat is alive is because you would be my friend. Outside of the actual thing, I'm like, I don't like you at all. Right? Which is an interesting, I think it's an extreme example is that when if we approach money with maybe not seeing the value that God places in it in terms of it being money itself, but like I want you to steward what I'm giving you in a way that glorifies me because I value it, I think kind of changes the paradigm maybe a little bit if, I, if I'm saying that the right way. Like it's hard for me to steward something that I don't really appreciate what the, the person who owns it is trying to accomplish with it. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Stewardship is important because when we approach money with it, we're just stewards of it. It doesn't belong to me. It transforms I think, how we manage um, our money. And so stewardship, um, which is listed out there too, I think it's in your notes, is the, the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. And I think if, you, if I was going to highlight or underline something in there, it would be that idea of God-given. It's, it's not ours to begin with. God gave it to us. And so, you know, similar to Job saying, hey, God can give it and he can take it away. Um, it's very real. A steward must realize that he owns nothing. He manages the resources of another for the accomplishment of their goals and in anticipation of an evaluation. Um, so we're going to jump into a couple passages here. Um, I don't quite know the best way to do this because they don't have any built-in like table time. And since there's just a small amount of, of people here, I don't know what the best way to jump into the next section as far as walking through, well, let's, let's look at what the Bible says about what money is. Um, so I don't know if it would be best to just jump in, just go through each one as a, as a, just a big group or, I mean, because you are, you're kind of a yeah. small group, whatever. Should we just do that? Let's do that. Okay. So um, first two passages, Psalm 24, and it's actually not 2412 because there is no Psalm 2412. I think it's Psalm 24, 1 and 2. Um, so question. What's that? That's a trick question. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Oh, yeah, sure Psalm 24, really 12. There isn't anything there. So, uh, yeah, open up your Bibles. Maybe put a finger in Psalm 24, 1 and 2, and maybe then another one in Psalm 50, verses 9 through 12. And then when somebody gets there, if you guys just want to start, somebody can read it. And The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Somebody want to grab Psalm 50? Oh, yeah, sorry, Matt, you don't have the book, do you? Uh, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pegs. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle are I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So what do you think that those two verses tell us about? All money is God's. That's kind of one of those push here dummy questions, right? <laughs> but the simplicity is, of this is so important. Like how often do you display or communicate who owns your, how do you oftentimes communicate who owns your stuff? 
Right. Whose house is yours? Like it's my house or, right? Driving my car. I think of even how we respond to our kids. We'll draw that out. Yeah, speak into that a little bit more. It was something a couple weeks ago you were talking to our oldest daughter. Oh, oh, about her phone. She has a phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she she just takes it to school, and then when she's home from school, she sits it on the counter, and that's pretty much it. That's all she... And so Addison asked a question. She said, so I'm confused. Is the phone mine, or is it yours? Was, you know, just talking through that about, well, we pay, we have paid for your phone, so the phone is ours, and we are just giving it to you to use. And... Um, so does that make sense? And she's like, I'm still confused. I don't know. So. Like you're telling it, it's my phone, but but it's your phone. Like yeah. whose phone is it? Like that that makes. I mean, that is when it boils it down. You're like, that's totally true. Yeah, we're. This is yours in terms of you can use this, but we're the ones that own this, and I can go. Whoop, you know, I'm the yeah. one that pays the bill for it, which is it's one of those questions. That you're like. I brought you into this world, like, you know, I can take you out. Kind of, but just, yeah. just stop. But yep. It was, it was good to, for her, though, to, to think through that, you know, because she's not paying the bill on it. Right. It is something we are allowing her to use, so. Right. Is that an offensive thing to you guys that it's not really yours? I mean, oftentimes, I know, Tyler, you're shaking your head like, no. Yeah. But I go, somebody willing to be honest with me, like, well, Sometimes, like, I put in a lot of work. You know, Amanda's shaking her head. Like, why? Yeah, I mean, just, you want to be able to, um, you know, take some credit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I worked hard to do that. Mm -hmm. It's mine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But. Well, you think, too, of how easy it is for even little children to say, that's mine. You know, down in Candio Kids, as, as little as the one-year-old room, they're down there saying, mine, mine. I think it just goes back to our sin nature too, of how quick we are to to want to selfishly put our stamp on something and hold tightly to it. Yep. They don't really learn to do that. They just naturally do mm -hmm. that. You don't have to teach them that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have observed people that overvalue things, mm -hmm. whether it's money or other possessions. Also, have a very hard time being humble enough to borrow something from somebody. Mm. Not us, Matt. We'll just come to you and borrow yours. <laughs> that was my heart yesterday. We were working on our, our on our bathroom, and she was like, "Why don't you just call Matt?" I'm like, "I don't want to bother him." And there was a little bit of that pride where you're just like, "I don't want to." And just, to and do just that. because you can afford to go buy something or pay for somebody to do something doesn't mean you should. Yep. Doesn't yep. mean it's the wisest thing, the best stewardship of what you've got. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I appreciate you circling back to that because that's when we talk about money and marriages that has to be at the absolute forefront. It's not mine, and I am stewarding this for somebody else. Mm -hmm. It makes us critically think through how we are then spending our money, and then, you know, like Rob was talking about earlier about, well, what are some of the things that I can change and I'm just not stewarding God's money well with well, on, on silly stuff? The stewardship or the, you know, people with the greatest um, understanding of it are also probably the more generous people. Yep, mm -hmm. yep, yep, I would agree. Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Um, somebody want to find that one out and put their finger in it, and then Leviticus 27, 30. Else we do Leviticus 27. Everybody know where Leviticus is at? Everybody's favorite book. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So we are to give from the first, not the last, um, of our produce. What's what's been the case? And this is where we're going to get into kind of the nitty gritty. Um, what is the what is the cadence of your giving? Where does it where does it normally come from? Like is it first? Is it middle? Is it last? When do you give? I said, I'm just, I said it automatically, so it just comes out first. <coughs> I don't have to even miss it. Mm-hmm. I suppose there's probably some benefit sometimes to being intentional about sitting down and writing a check mm-hmm. first, but that's also a, a time thing. Right. You know, sure. If I, if I don't have the time, I won't be a good steward of that anyway. So sure. it's better for me if I just had it set automatically. Like, like today, yeah. I forgot that uh, Ridgeway was closed. And I was like, oh, no, okay. I'm still going to drive my way through. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it took two feet of Let me ask this, because this is helpful. Uh, um, what other um, parts of your life, if I can put it in that term, what other parts of who you are do you... Well, I'm doing a bad job at asking this question. I'm just going, and what other ways does this, does this apply like in, in other things? Like what other places do you give God the first of something? Um, yeah, I'm doing a bad job. No, I you think I know what you're asking. trying to say. And an example that comes to my mind is just as you start your day, mm-hmm. I give him the first of my time, you know, and that's in his word. And that's, I mean, get a cup of coffee, let the dog out, and then go have, have my quiet time. And so he gets the first instead of the last of me. Still if yeah. I have any time to do it. Which, I mean, if it's... I have any Right, you know, and that's been different through each season of of my life. You know, when we were first married and we had no children, it was easy to do that at the first of the day. When we started to have kids and they're getting up before I'm getting, you know, it was a little bit harder. So then you just try to redeem that time at nap time, or there was a season I would do it at night. But 
right? Mm-hmm. Why do you think getting the first is so, why do you think that's such a fundamental thing for us as Christ followers? Or why should it? Not just in finances, but anywhere. When Steph talks about putting value on, it just shows it communicates value to what you do. It's true. And it, it, what it boils down to is it's like, God, I am trusting you with giving you the first and the best and knowing that you're a good God that loves me and I think you can take care of the rest of it. It, it continues to put on display what should be in our hearts as we trust we have a loving Heavenly mm-hmm. Father when we, we do that. And can't think of a better way to model that than being like, yeah, God, you want me to give, you know, the, my first, not my last? I'm going to do that, which means I'm going to trust that something goes sideways throughout the month. Um, it's going to have to come out of somewhere else. You're going to have to provide. When I think, too, I mean, even just thinking about having my quiet time the first thing in the morning, that then sets the anchor typically for the rest of my day. Um, if I feel like I'm getting more emotional or more negative, it's easier for me to go back and what first did I meditate on this morning and anchor myself to that truth instead of the truth I'm feeling. But so often, too, when we pay bills and we give that first, that's the anchor and everything else that we then budget for comes comes around that. And so like this is first and center, then what else can we put into our budget that's going to match up. You bet. What's the phrase we, we constantly hear at Candeo? And it's not just Candeo, it's, it's biblical. What's the phrase we constantly hear when we talk about giving? Generously. This is the, 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 the trick. Paul uses this all the time, right? And I love it. It's let your giving determine your living mm-hmm. and not your living determine your giving. That's not a Absolutely. trick question. It's not in the book. But we, I know that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about us, are constantly in the place of letting our living determine what we can give. You're like, oh, I think I have a little bit left over, you know, to give because my, my, my paradigm, Matt loves that word, um, is different than, than what it should be. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, we are to give from the, the first and the last. So recognize all money is God's. We're just stewarding it. And we are to give from the first um, and not to last or not the last. Uh, let's open up Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. So we want to grab that one and then read that for us. small copper coins worth only a few cents. 
calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. God is more concerned with how we give than what we give. And if you guys seen example, or what examples of that have, have you seen in your own lives or in the lives of other people? Outside of the example you just saw in Mark. I know that we're talking more about money right now, but in giving other ways, sometimes when I'm planning on my weekends, I tend to be a little selfish with them. Like I <laughs> tend to relax and tend to rest get caught up on things but I find that when I do take some time to invest in someone else or to reach out to someone that God blesses that and I still feel rested or whatever I need for that weekend so Chris would you be making the connection to I'm seeing this widow give she didn't have a lot at all but out of that, she's choosing to give, and you're coming into a weekend going, I don't have a lot to give because everything's been taken, you know, throughout the rest of the week. If I'm hearing that right. What other examples have you seen? Even in money, somebody that sets the pace for you in how they give. Maybe that's a good question. Who's a pace setter for you in how they give? Matt, I always think you're going to say something when you lean back like... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. David and Jenna, how about you guys? Like, who set the pace for you and how to give? One person I always uh, find fascinating is to see how he lives his life and see if he actually lives his life authentically is one of the elders, uh, Mark Jackson. Mm -hmm. we're, we're pretty close neighbors with them, and so I'm just like, well, do you actually live with what you preach, so to speak? And mm -hmm. every time we're going back, it's like, yes, and more so. Mm -hmm. At least by example, not only be willing to just give money generously to the church, but looking at different opportunities he can for the church as well as others and um, where he finds his value of things. He definitely is a good example of um, 
giving, uh, he lets giving dictate how he can live. You bet. When we have that realization that it's, it's not mine to begin with and I'm just stewarding it well, and then it, it, it does it. It allows us to be able to give from a place of like, like the widow's offering where she's, she's putting her trust in God. She's displaying it. She's like, I'm, I'm going to give because my heart wants to give in that way. And we see that over and over. I continue to have guys that surround me that set a pace for like, I don't know how you guys are giving the way you are because from what I see, you don't have a lot. Of, of money. And I love that uh, about, you know, people that will go, yeah, because I want to have a, a heart that's being like, this isn't mine anyway. So, right. And there's just being surrounded by people like that of, of, of recognizing that God is more concerned with how we give than what we give. He doesn't care how much, you know, and I think Rob was talking earlier about, um, you know, sometimes the, was he talking about jealousy? Or who's talking about jealousy? You know, just say yeah, like somebody might make more. Can you think of a better way of like, it doesn't matter. What a, what a great way to have peace about how much you give when you know that my heart is giving out of the overflow of what God's given to me, right? And, and kind of wanting to be in that place. A couple uh, that comes to my mind, Scott. Yeah. Uh, the Van Voorhis. Oh, yeah. You know, when, um, I don't know if, if you guys know the Van Voorhis, Todd and Paige Van Voorhis, um, they came up here from Ames to help plant Candeo. And so when we um, first heard of them, it was in 2013, we hadn't even met them yet. And Paul Sabino was, was in our kitchen talking to us about Candeo and he mentioned this family, the Van Voorhis, and how they're coming up to help plant this church and um, they're selling their dream home in Story City to come live in a smaller home and it's not their dream home and um, they were, taking the equity from their home when they sold it and they were giving that to Candale. And it just, I thought in my mind, I thought the Van Voorhis were this couple who were 70 plus years old. And when I first met them, they were our age and my jaw just dropped. I was like, yeah. And you have how many kids? Three, how many, three or four kids at Three or four at the time. And I just thought this, this is sacrificial giving. Um, that was beyond what I had ever known. So. You, you guys know the Van Voorst. They do it out of joy. Like, Absolutely. there's no, like, Absolutely. all right, fine, take this. I mean, Todd's doing it with this just, like, I don't know. I just love doing this. I don't know how God's going to provide, but he's going to. And it's a paradigm. It was one of the reasons that we're like, there is something serious going on here that we want to be. Um, a part of and as mm -hmm. we desire to go yeah you know what that something serious is is that we love Jesus more than anything mm -hmm. else and so it reshapes even how we think of our homes and our cars mm -hmm. and our finances Absolutely. And those were the pace setters for me yeah that's yeah. awesome mm -hmm. and it really flows I'm glad you bring that up babe because it, it flows right into 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 through 11 um, and I'm already there so I'll just, I'll just kind of bang it out quick um, so but godliness with contentment is a great gain we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take out it, or we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Loving money is committing spiritual suicide. In 
not money is committing spiritual suicide. It's the love of money. Oftentimes, I think even in our Christian circles, if I can use that term just broadly, is we, we equate, well, if you have money, you're a bad person. The Bible doesn't say having money is bad. The Bible's saying is if you have a love of money and if that is it, God gives us out of the overflow in different, in different ways. But when we have a love of money and we just, we, that's all we pursue and that becomes the thing we love the most, it is spiritual suicide. I mean, you don't have to look very far. I mean, Jesus talked all the time about money because he knew where our hearts were, were constantly growing. And when you encounter somebody like the Van Vorsts or the Sabinos, um, you know, the Jacksons, other people that are like, I'm going to let my giving determine what I, what I live on, um, is a, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's the heartbeat that, that is going to promote unity um, in our marriages. And then the last one, just for the sake of time, Matthew 6.21 talks about the flow of money in a family represents their value system. So when Steph was talking about earlier about um, you know, how our, where we spend our money on really does communicate what we value, that was one of the reasons Paul said, hey, bring your checkbook or your bank statements or whatever. You want to you do a best thing in your marriage um, or in the engagement process? You want to talk about what do we value right now? Spend some time opening up your bank records and go, what are we spending our money on? And it will, it will clearly communicate you know, what we value. Do that with your time. Do that with money. I mean, it's a, it's a great thing to really expose what is, what is true. Um, but within that is where our money is, and we hear this all the time, our heart is going to be. We see that, we see that biblically, right? Within the context of marriage, when we talk about money, particularly bringing in Two sets of family, two different maybe perspectives on money. A couple Saturdays ago, the Mullickses had um, what Brittany and Dylan and then uh, Will and um, Casey um, over. And we're just, we're having breakfast with them and just talking. And I think one of the my, my most fun conversations we had that morning was, hey, how did your parents handle money? Mm-hmm. And like asking both of them, like, Tyler, I'm guessing that you have a context of how you steward money from your family that could look different than Gabrielle's. And, and it's, it's an interesting, I don't know if it's an interesting thing. I don't want to like monopolize a lot of time on that, but I'm like, have you guys seen that within your marriages or even engagements, like a different maybe perspective? And what has that looked like within your marriages or your relationships to, to flesh through that? Or have you fleshed through that? You're like, I've never been shown how to budget and I suck <coughs> at it and... I don't, there was a question in there somewhere that was kind of. <laughs> Any conflict arise from how you guys grew up handling money? started out was your family did you know like what your parents made or what they gave or anything like that no okay how about for you Rob um I knew what they made and stuff and we grew up pretty we weren't poor but we were both middle class sure yeah
Gotcha. This is, this is a great. How many of you guys knew what your parents, like your parents walked through money with you? Okay, just a couple. Everybody else? No? Didn't know anything? They were poor farmers, so. <laughs> What's that, Amanda? They were poor farmers, so. Like, but they were farmers. Looking at the milk check probably isn't really, you know, you see how much they make, but how much they spend to take care of the farms and things like that. You bet. Does it really cover everything? <laughs> you bet. My encouragement is this, is if you haven't had conversations, have a conversation. Sit down and just go, tell me about how your mom and dad taught you how to handle money. Ask your spouse that. Ask your, you know, your fiance and, and reciprocate in kind and, and just let that stuff flow up. And, and that might help, uh, I guess, I don't want to say promote unity, but at least it gives you kind of a context for what your spouse is coming to when you're, when you're talking about money. Because money is the number one cause of divorce today. Um, I think that's in your books, too. I'm trying to give you as many of the, the fill-in sheets, too. Um, the number one cause of divorce. Um, and so that's why, you know, when we talk about making, what, is, what are biblical principles in terms of, of money within my marriage is when we talk about making financial decisions as a couple is what it just says in there, make financial decisions as a team. Um, money in the context of marriage should not be separate bank accounts. Somebody mentioned that, you know, we talked about Bradley, hey, what do you think of when you think of money? Somebody's like, you know, you know, joint bank accounts. Some people, you ask around. I'd be curious to know how many, how many of your friends or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I have a bank account and my husband has a bank account or whatever. And we're like, That's, that can become hard to make financial decisions if, if you're, you're walled off. And what, what's another thing that having separate things promotes, which isn't healthy? Right. Yep. Chris had it hit on the head. Like secrets. Those things will kill marriages. You know? And I think money is, is one of those things that does that. So within the context of making financial decisions as a team, discussing and agreeing on finances, like budget, major purchases, etc., results in a profound unity um, in marriage. Um why do you think this is going to sound like a, a duh question to ask? But why do you think agreeing as a couple on financial decisions, budgets, and things like that? Why do you think it promotes unity? Because you have to come to a decision together. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you and Randy? Well, we're still engaged. Right. Yeah, Randy, you guys speak in at some point. Just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're on the same page with we don't spend money on things that are not necessary. Mm-hmm. So right now, we're just starting out and we want to save for like a down payment on the house eventually or those kind of things. And we both agree that it's important to tithe. And we don't talk a lot about money, though, right now. Yeah, Randy, speak into that or just... Well, I am an adult now. I'm making money. Yes. She's still in school, so she's... Not an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Randy, you walked right into that one. Yeah, I'm not an adult. (laughs) 
So, Randy, that's me. I do that all the time. I do that all the time. So um, we don't, like, I think once we do, because we'll be married and she'll get her first job, like, September, whenever that starts. Whenever somebody school. hires yeah. me. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so then we'll be actually conjoining two incomes. And, uh, but right now, it's, it's still kind of the, I'm making money doing what I do, and then I buy some, some stuff for you, of course. But for the most part, we're still kind of separate with, you know, having two bank accounts and stuff. Sure. Yeah, having those conversations of already trying to build in what is our budget going to look like? What do you think about major purchases? You know, um, what should we give? You know, not just on a regular basis, but also like when things come up of like, you know, maybe supporting, you know, a missionary or a mission field or we've got, you know, a need here, you know, like the, the capital campaign. Talking about those things and making those decisions as a team promotes unity because last week, I think during the conflict portion, one of the greatest frustrations that we encounter in our marriage and you guys have encountered, will encounter, are unmet expectations. I have an expectation of this of my wife and it's not met and that frustrates me. My wife has a, an expectation of me in some way and I don't meet that, that frustrates her. And so the best way to mitigate that is to talk about what are your expectations? What, what are your expectations as far as what our budgets are gonna look like? I think Chris was talking about like what our needs are talking through that may look different like a need in our budget may look different from your husband than what you as a wife and to be able to talk about those and hear from your spouse and go what do you see as a need for us that we would need to put money towards um and help me understand why that is and, and get on that you know kind of on the front end if i'm if i'm saying that the right way do you have any other thoughts on that like how we've how we've kind of done some of that within our marriage but just discussing our finances. Yeah, just talking about money and. Um, I think early on when we the on the move campaign, that was really good to. Because we wanted to do some sacrificial giving there, and so it was really good to, to really discuss our finances. And um, he had a different vision with some of the things that we could, um, let go of, so we, we could free up some of our money to give and. Um, it was good. It was good to hear that from his perspective, he had more of a sacrificial spirit than I did. And so to hear that from my spouse and know that that's where his heart was made me want to get on board too. And so um, those were good discussions too. And I think even early on in our marriage, discussing and agreeing on finances, I think of, um, I don't know if we had that conversation during our engagement or shortly after we were married, but we both agreed that once we started to have children, I was going to stay home and take care of our kids. And so a year into our marriage, we bought our first home, and I was working at a bank, and the mortgage person was like, well, well, this is what you make, and this is what he makes, and combined, this is the mortgage you can afford. And it was like, take my salary out of it, because we're gonna buy a home based off of his salary. And so it was just one of those to totally be in unity in a bank where there's pressure on you, you know, and you see you see that dollar figure flashed up there about this is how much you can afford, you know, and you're like, this is awesome, you know? And so 
I, I think it was really great too. It just it freed me up to just be when I did start to have kids, just be like, this is this is where we're at, and my husband supports me in this, and um, it made me feel good. So I love you. I love you too. How do I do Like I'm watching this, I'm going. We when when we were, I think we might have mentioned this when we were at Matt and Jenny's last week too. Like money has. We don't fight about money. And I'm not putting that out there as like, we don't fight about money. We fight other things. But I am so glad, just by God's grace, that money is not one of those things that that we've ever fought about. I mean, we just we just don't. And I think so much of that flowed out of wanting to honor God with with what we had, even from the perspective of like I want my kids to be raised by us. I want my I want my wife to, to, to be that until you know they can get to that place. And so our financial decision go, we believe that that's being obedient. We believe that that is something that because of that, we're just going to plan whatever big investments we make. It's just going to be, can we afford it on my salary? And that's it. And that has driven us for the last 19 years. Um, and I've loved it. I've, it's, it's, kept us in check with where our hearts could could quickly go but that was a decision we came to early on and just just talking and through I think, those things um, you know one of the blanks there it says it results in profound unity in marriage mm-hmm. i think even with our own children I mean, our oldest is 14 and then almost a 12 year old and now a seven year old and you know when they they get, get to junior high i think they start to the light bulb comes on about name brand things and certain items and they want, want, want. And um, to have unity as a husband and spouse about, or a wife and husband, about where we are with our budget and even having conversations with our 14-year-old about, no, this is, this is where we're anchored to and anything else that comes before that, any other finances, this is what what we have to work off of. And you need to understand that. Yeah, it sets the pace. It sets mm-hmm. the pace for us. So, so yeah. What What is the making decisions as a team look like for you guys, financial decisions as a team? Engagement, even married? Conversations everybody looks forward to? What a what a, a sweet way. I, I, throw, I throw terms out there way too loosely. What a sweet way in that moment where even within a marriage, it might be easy because of our sin hearts to go, well, I can't afford this. I'm not, we're not buying this couch because my spouse just wants to be mean to me, you know, or wants to withhold instead of going, no, actually, my spouse is trying to honor the budget that we came to as a, as a couple and a decision. 
it helps push against kind of that on the spur of the moment frustration we might find with our with our spouse within those things. Um, and it's a, it's a great it, having unity is is key. And who makes the decisions? Both people make the decisions. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with Matt and Jenna. Keep reference to last Saturday because it was so good. Um, but when you talk about making decisions, both people are going to make the decisions. But go with who's who's best in in the final. Don't hold hold loosely on to you know who is going to the man should be the one that does the checkbook because it's the man. I'm going, man, if your wife is great at that and she's willing to do it, awesome, you know. But make those, do those things together. One of the ways I think I don't do as well in shepherding my wife is like, I don't have a, this, not, this isn't even shepherding, this is just, I don't do a good job of, of getting into the finances. I'm kind of like, you're awesome at this, and I'm, I'm not, and so I don't know. And I don't know if that's necessarily the, the healthiest play because I don't know everything that's in there if I'm, if I'm saying yeah. that the right way. Yeah. But Matt, you kind of looked at me like, "What?" Well, I mean, if you, I don't think that I agree with you. Okay. I mean, that is okay, Matt. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't think it matters if you trust that person and and they're doing the job. Why does it matter? You don't have to both have an interest in that. I mean, you have to have an agreement on what you're going to do with it. Yeah. But at that point, you can just be hands on. Yeah, I feel like that that buys into my the just the laziness that is inherent, I think, in men. Um, generally, as far as towards stuff That's like that. It's not lazy if you just said this is an agreed upon duty. And yeah. You know, I mean, you're just doing what you said. And again, it's following through. Yeah. You love her enough to trust her to let her yep. do it, and that's the end of it. Yeah, and it's definitely com- not coming from a place of distrust. It's just like, man, should I be in that? Well, I think what you are also trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're more referring to monthly check ins. Like, how's our budget this month? You know, are we staying on track? Are we off track? And yeah. if that's what you're trying to say. Because yeah. we, 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 that's an area we can grow in is having more monthly check-ins. Yeah, so this is a great judge. this is a great highlight. What we found has worked for us, and we're going to talk here in just a second about budgeting. This is going to kind of take us to the end um, of today is that when we talk about budgeting is that one of the most helpful things it's been for us is simply just knowing what you're spending your money on, mm-hmm. right, is setting a budget, but also just having uh, – Hey, this is how much money I spent on lunch. This is how much money I spent on a, on a model airplane kit. This is how much money you know we have. That's been one of the. That's right, we're over here. It's it's having that and being in the in the in the know with that. And so budgeting is an important part of stewardship, and it's also an important part of, of unity. If it's been one of the best things that we've had for us, because we it took us years to put a budget together, and we weren't like frivolously throwing out money we just never sat down and just budgeted things out or knew what we were spending on and so budgeting goes towards proverbs 21 5 which says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty there's some quote that i heard ben franklin uh say back in the day where he was talking about if you fail to prepare for something you're just preparing for failure um and when we don't you can you probably got that from Proverbs, I guess. But if you don't, if you don't plan for those things within the context of, of, of our money and budgeting it, um, you're, you're heading in a wrong direction. So you can manage your money or let your money manage or control you. That's uh, A, under budgeting. So how to budget is begin with tracking your income and expenses over several months. If you've never done this before, and we had not done this before up until, like, tracking our expenses, probably five years ago, um, 
And just it, just begin with tracking what you're spending. You don't even have to make any adjustments. Just track it, right? It's like doing a, a time budget. You know, from time to time, go through and track what you're spending all your time on. It's very revealing. Um, but start there. Then allocate amounts for your various budget categories. Like go through, and again, this unified perspective on you know within the within money in your marriage is go through and talk about that allocate amounts for various budget categories like how much are we going to spend on when we go out to eat because you're going to have a lot of knowns you're going to have the mortgage payment which should stay fairly consistent from month to month you're going to have the car payment whatever that is the insurance all those things but then you've got kind of like this flexible area of i don't know we should have an entertainment fund Right? We should have a going out to eat fund. We should have a planning for a vacation fund. Um, and just talk with your spouse and, all right, how much should we allocate to this? And be flexible. Build in you know, where you start to realize, oh, we didn't spend $100 you know, to, to feed our family this last week. So we can take money out and move that around. But that is part of managing your money instead of letting your – you're becoming proactive instead of reactive um, towards your money. And then the third thing it lists in there how to budget is review your performance in a monthly sync meetings. And this is an area that Julie and I do not do well in as far as linking up once a month and going, how did we do? Where are we at? And not assigning motive towards anything you're seeing, but just asking good questions. You know, did I spend way too much money on my lunch budget? You know, stuff like that. Um, you see some suggested budgeted percentage. Uh, there's like that sheet in there. Um, and this, again, is coming out of your take-home pay. Um, start with something. Start. Don't, don't worry about reinventing the wheel. But this is just a great way to start. And you can see, first and foremost, start with your giving. When you let your giving determine your living and seek to grow in that, um, it's, it reorients everything else that you, you, you value and you're going to end up spending money on. Julie and I had always thought the, the, the 10%, we always, we loved, the, the 10% model was, was the one we like, that's being obedient. We, we see that in the Bible. But we were also kind of just satisfied to go, once we've met that, we're kind of good, right? Like we've met our 10%, why, why do we want to go? And we were challenged, you know, again, just through reading the Bible of going, but should I just stay there? Like, wouldn't it be healthy to continue to grow in my ability to give more? And so we've made a commitment as a couple. Again, this was a decision we came to of we're going to try and faithfully give a percentage more every year um, going forward um, because we want to let that be what drives everything else that, that we're living on. Um, but those are some suggested budgeted percentages that you can even begin to build and if you're like, I don't know where to start, this is a great way to start. Any questions when you see that? Or does anybody have anything else that's worked out really well for them? As you've gone through budgets at all? This is just a healthy, this is a healthy starting point. You see the priorities are give, you know, and we've seen that in what we, uh, some of the passages we talked about earlier. But also another important one, obviously, is save. Right? We talk about with our kids all, all the time. Our, our daughters have three things in their room. It's a give, save, and spend jar. So any money they give it in, now granted it might look different for you, um, you know, as far as give a third, save a third, spend a third. Um, but our kids can do that you know, right now. But in this idea of saving, Proverbs 21, 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Right? 
Savings are important. We see that. It's a biblical principle. It's one that we should have and we should put money towards um, and, and putting money away. And you see there, what this should look like is we should all have an emergency fund, right? Whatever that might look like. And, the, and a good baseline suggestion, I don't know if this is coming from Dave Ramsey, but start at a minimum of, of trying to get $1,000 in the bank for just some emergency that you don't have to put on a credit card because you've got at least $1,000 you know, put away. Set that as a goal and stay there until you get to that goal. Don't worry about going above and beyond that until you can establish that as a baseline. Um, but when you get to that place where you're in a good cadence of, of saving, is start to move towards a healthy emergency fund is about three to six months of living expenses. And again, what that looked like for us was setting aside off of my salary what that would look like because it was always like, well, if something really bad happens and it's got blows out a knee or something like that. And I know that there's all kinds of like supplemental insurances that are offered. Great. I'm not saying don't go after that or don't invest, but man, what a sweet place to be if you have about three to six months of, a, of, of emergency funds. It gives you that cushion to protect you from going into debt on, on, on things. Um, and that's going to look different for different people. You know what your three to six months of, of salary looks like. But um, great thing to have there. So an emergency fund, that's just in case something happens. Retirement planning. Guys, I am not the expert on retirement planning. I would shoot you towards like a Steve Yerkes uh, type of a guy. Um, but a, mer- or a, a retirement planning. What's that, man? Drew Fober. Yeah, or Drew Fober. Mm-hmm. If you guys don't know him, ask around. Hey, who would you suggest? Somebody who... Um, and I love having guys that um, are, are godly men that also have a right understanding of what it looks like to retire. Um, that's a good, good foundation to have. And then that last one under uh, our savings is, so emergency fund, retirement planning, and then setting aside funds for large expenses and purchases. You know, Rob and Steph were talking earlier about buying a couch. I don't know what your level of big purchases is. I think anything for us over like 500 bucks is one of those where... Like, all right, let's let's either save up or take this out of something that we've we have set aside as like an investment or a capex capital expenditures for people who are familiar with that is to spend cash on that, save up for those things, um, and we've even seen with our kids the value that uh, I think comes is we're going to have our daughter save up for her first car because I think it will help her appreciate the effort that it took to to get into that. That, that type of a place. And so set aside fund for large expenses and purchases and it can come out of your, out of your savings account. Any cool stories of like wins in that for people that have moved in that direction and been like, oh, this was totally gold for us. Either having an emergency fund or saving up to buy something big, like any, anything like that. Anybody paid cash for a car? What was that like? Pretty cool. Yeah, why? What? Why? Just because I yeah. And it was mine when I got and it drove away. Yep. See how we quickly go to the mine thing? You know, it's mine. <laughs> I'm there too, Randy. I do the same. Well, I think when we, we bought our van, we paid cash for that. Mm. And we had way more negotiating power because now we held the financial power, not the salesman. And so we were able to, and I was pregnant with our third, and I had my two my two-year-old in tow with me when we went there and she was promised a balloon and we had all the paperwork signed and filled out and the salesman came back and was like 
I don't think we're gonna do this deal. And I just grabbed my two-year-old and walked out and she didn't have her balloon. She's hysterical. And I'm like, nope, this was our bottom line. You're not gonna meet it. We're walking away from this deal. And at the end of the day, they were able to be like, okay, you're doing cash on the spot. Absolutely, like it changes the power that we had, the negotiating power. It was definitely good leverage. And the daughter walking out with a, a balloon, too. <laughs> crushing our, our child. I did. I did want to point point out when we were talking about budgets, something we didn't we didn't do when we were engaged um, that I think would have been helpful for us too. Um, is before we were married, I think it would have been helpful for us to sit down and and talk through just what a budget looked like for us. Because I really didn't, going into our marriage, I really didn't have an idea about what he made per month. And um, at the time we were married, we had mo- I had moved to a different city, so I didn't have a job. And so it was one of those, I didn't even know what what we could spend for groceries or what we could spend for right. for things that we needed as a couple. So I think for you folks that are engaged, I think it would be really helpful for you to sit down and and be pretty transparent with where you're at financially and be like, this is what we have to work with, give or take, you know, a thousand or five hundred. And this is what what do you think is reasonable for groceries? What do you think is reasonable for and just go through that. So you have that expectation going into your marriage. You're not setting yourself up for conflict. So if that makes sense. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't do that. We didn't do that. So giving, saving, and the last one is spend, which is, is simple. I mean, live within within your means. Um, and I think that's the, the beauty of giving first. Um, it, the money that you have left over, it, it allows you to stay within your means. Avoid unnecessary debt, all right? Um, there are times where we, you, you need to go into debt, you know, for, for large, you know, house purchases and stuff like that. It'd be sweet to pay cash for a home. I haven't been able to to do that yet our big win was being able to do that with the van but um yeah live within your means right we live in a culture that that's that's not that's not what's being put out in front of us so um, give save and spend should drive the priorities um that allow us to budget um in those last two verses there proverbs 28 20 which says a faithful man will be richly blessed but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Shows that when we've surrendered our finances to God and realized that it's his first, we're just stewarding it, it allows us to go, the, the people that are pursuing riches is not going to be us. It keeps us, it pushes against our, our desire to be our own God and to be the one that determines what we're going to do with our entire life. And I think that's one of the reasons that the pursuit of money is, is such a problem with so many of us is because it's our attempt to, to, to kind of determine our own outcome. And so um, uh, the last one I'll throw out there too is, is this one is, was so helpful for me is Proverbs 18, 10, 11. It says, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it are protected, right? That's, that's the, I, I want that to be the cadence of, of um, who God is for me. But verse 11 is so helpful because I think it exposes um, what is true about loving money. Um, it says a rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it's like a high wall. 
And when I learned that verse a couple years ago, verse 11 was so helpful for me because when my heart wants to go get anxious about how am I going to make ends meet and everything, I go, if my, if my security and everything is tied up only in my stuff, it's just an imagine. It's a figment of my imagination. My security is in Jesus, and trusting in Him and being like, I want to obey the God that would send His Son to die on the cross for my sins. And out of that obedience, out of that love for Him is and trust is just going to drive my obedience. That's real. That is what. Tr- that's what's true. Everything else that I pursue, particularly my security and finances, is an, it's an imagination. It's like a high wall that doesn't even exist. Um, and I don't think anybody has a whole lot of respect for the crazy man that thinks that something's there and it's not. But if you're pursuit of riches and your security is in riches, you're the crazy man or woman. Um, so, so yeah, any thoughts? You know, just kind of we close things off. Questions, any yeah. yeah, questions or anything like that? Nothing. I don't know what you guys have. You guys are it's on to sex next week, right? Yeah. So next week. Yeah, sorry. That Glad we're not teaching that one. So many that are in here. Uh, so assignment for next week, read chapter 8 of The Meaning of Marriage, and then come ready to discuss the chapter with the class. So well, let me pray for us, and then I think we're, I hope we're taking well time. Uh, God, you, uh, you are a good father. Um, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously provide all things? Um, God, you're the one that met our greatest problem we could ever have uh, this side of heaven through your son, Jesus. We were broken and separated from you because of our sin, and you reconciled us uh, to yourself through your son, Jesus, When for those that have put their trust in what Jesus did. And you met that greatest need we ever have. Uh, God, it always makes me go, I think you're going to be able to take take care of all the other things that my heart would get anxious about. In fact, God, I don't, I don't think that I know that. Um, in meeting our greatest need in Jesus, it provides a context for us to then approach uh, our money. Uh, God, it's yours. Um, it doesn't even belong to us. Um, so Holy Spirit, would you please move in our hearts to always see uh, our things as belonging to you and us simply as stewards of that. God, give us the wisdom, give us the boldness, give us the trust to steward those things well, not for our own benefit, but for yours, and that we would hold very loosely on to our finance, or our money, uh, God, and just be so quick to, to freely give it away, to letting our, our giving determine how we're going to live. And then out of that, God, just like Todd and Paige did for Julie and I, that it would set a pace for those around us uh, to see a people um, whose greatest love is you, Jesus, and would cause them to go, what gives you that contentment that you have? Why, why are you able to live the way that you are and be so happy and joyful? And it gives us a platform to communicate the gospel. Now, we have the opportunity to communicate the gospel through our marriage, through how we encounter conflict, um, how we raise our kids, uh, how we, we uh, see our finances, uh, how we relate to each other intimately you know, through sex, what we're going to talk about next week. All of these are platforms that we have to communicate the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. So move in our hearts, our minds, and our actions this week to be uh, communicating the gospel through that. So, um, yeah, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.